scripture reading this morning is Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to the young children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, to get started with this. I want to encourage you to pull out your bulletin if you want to follow along on the outline. Open your Bibles. We're going to be in John 11. It's going to be our text. Let me share this just by way of introduction. Clothes matter. We may say it doesn't, or we may think we don't care about them, but clothes matter. I spent a couple of moments this week gathering some quotes about clothing. You probably heard of some of these, maybe all of them. Clothes makes a man. You heard of that one? Dress for success. We've all heard that one. Cinderella is proof that a new pair of shoes can change your life. I didn't know that. Every day is a fashion show and the world is the runway. I like my money right where I can see it hanging in my closet. Life is too short to wear boring clothes. Men go shopping to buy what they need. Women go shopping to find out what they want. A sweater is a garment worn by a child when the mother is feeling chilly. There are a lot of things we say about clothes, but like it or not, what you wear matters. Our schools, public and private, have a dress code because what you wear matters. I looked it up. The average cost of a wedding dress in the U.S. is $1,300 because that's absurd. No, because what you wear matters. Did you know college football teams average spending $200,000 a year on their uniforms? Because what you wear matters. Author Isaac Singer got it right. He says, what a strange power there is in clothing. So you may think, I don't care about that, no big deal, or maybe you obsess over that, but there is a power, a strange power in clothing. There's an interesting detail in the story of Jesus' resurrection about clothing. You remember it, maybe you've forgotten it. John's Gospel tells about Peter and John going to the tomb that Sunday morning. And we remember because they didn't find a body there, but the tomb wasn't empty. There was clothing there, remember? The the grave clothes, the linen strips that were wrapped around him were still there in the grave. So Jesus left his grave clothes there. So evidently, he received new clothes. Small detail maybe, but I think it says a lot. Let me show you what I mean by that. Open your Bibles to John 11. That's going to be our text. We're going to look at several verses here. The verses are going to be on the screen, but if you'd like to, maybe you just can follow along in your own Bible. John chapter 11. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. They were very close friends to Jesus. When you read through the Gospels, you get the idea they were some of his closest friends. Spent a lot of time hanging out at their house. 
They were close to him. But when Lazarus became deathly ill, you remember the story, Jesus wasn't right there. He wasn't in Bethany. He wasn't at their house. And when he got word of Lazarus' illness, he didn't stop everything like a good friend would do and hurriedly get there. In fact, he delayed getting there. By the time Jesus arrived, the funeral was over. Tomb was shut. It had been four days. You remember the story. Jesus was, dare I say it, late. He missed it. You know, there's a lot of things you're not late for. You're not late for a wedding. You're not late for a funeral. Jesus was late. For the, it already happened. Tomb shut. Day four. Martha goes to meet Jesus on the road. Look there in John 11, beginning verse 21. Lord Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Great question. Jesus did not ask her if she believed in the doctrine of the resurrection. Jesus did not say, I give you the resurrection, or I promise there will be a resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. Do you believe this? Here's why that's important. Because Jesus is a person to trust. Write that down. Jesus is a person to trust. Do you realize that the Scripture shows Jesus never conducted a funeral? You've heard of wedding crashers? People who come not invited and they can get some free food? You would want, if you were having a funeral, for Jesus to be your funeral crasher. Because when Jesus would show up, boom, dead comes back to life, funeral's over. He's the one you wanted to come to the funeral. See, raising Lazarus was not the challenge Raising faith in His being the Messiah was His challenge. He was not thinking about Lazarus being dead. He was trying to teach them. See, it's always easier to acknowledge a doctrine than it is to surrender to a person. See, it's one thing for Christians to gather on Sunday, sing agree, read about the resurrection. Yes, it happened, but it's another when we continue to live as though it hasn't happened, as if it didn't happen. Is your life centered on the reality that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? So it's not just what He does, it's, it's who He is. And Jesus, I believe, is still asking us today, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe Him in a way that changes what you wear. Let's keep reading in John 11. Pick up in verse 38. Jesus, what's more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that they've heard me, that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. If you'd like to underline in your Bible, I want you to notice three commands Jesus makes in this story. We're very familiar with the story of Lazarus, but I think he makes these three commands because there's something for us to grasp more than just this amazing miracle that Jesus brought the dead back to life. The first thing he said was, take away the stone. And the lesson for us, Jesus is giving us hope. Jesus is giving us hope. As soon as he said that, though, the voice of doubt speaks loudly to everybody around because Jesus is told it had been four days. At this point, the body is decomposing. There would be an odor, a bad odor. Everybody knew that. Jesus didn't have to be reminded that it had been four days. But everybody reminded him it is four days. Now, to you and me, with our modern funeral practices, that doesn't mean a lot to us because we've got embalming and the whole situation. So, you know, for us, day four is no different than day three or day five. But to them, being day four was significant. That was a big deal. They didn't have modern medical care. There was no coroner. There was a concern that maybe, are they really dead or is it just a deep sleep or are they in a coma? We're not sure. They're not coming to. But by day four, you know. There's no doubt. It's sure. Why did Jesus stay in the grave three days to make sure there's no doubt the person is gone? And by the fourth day, you would know for sure. Because if nothing else, the body would smell. I know we want to talk about that kind of detail, but it's in there, so we need to talk about it. See, what Martha was telling Jesus... It's not just that it's day four and the body would smell. What Martha was saying to Jesus is, Jesus, you're too late. Isn't that what she's saying? That's what she's feeling. Where were you? Had you been here? Jesus, according to Martha, was was late. So my question is, what day did you give up? You've done it. You've given up on God because we live in a fourth day world. What was the day when you thought God was late and you gave up? I will never. I will never get well. I will never get fit. I will never get out of debt. I will never get a job. I will never get over what they did to me. My marriage will never get better. My son will never come home. My daughter will never straighten up. We will never have kids. Was it the fourth day? The 44th day? The 400th day? But there was a day when in your mind, you may have never said it, but you thought, God, God's late. God's not helping me. We live in a fourth day world. And there will always be great pressure to conform to what's always been, to settle for the status quo to let decay win the day. But will you allow the noise of a fallen world to drown out the voice of Jesus? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. Jesus was asking them, and I believe He's still asking us to step in the direction of what we say we believe. That our actions 
follow our words, the things we say we believe, the things we sing we believe. He said, take away the stone. Take away the stone. He's asking them to step in the direction of hope. Listen to 1 Peter 1.3. Peter writes, In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And hope here is not positive thinking about what I can do. Hope is passionate faith about what God is able to do. God is not limited by stones. God is not limited by a funeral. He's not limited by death. So we should never put a period where God has put a comma. God is no respecter of stones. He is a redeemer of those who have trapped. That is who He is. So first He tells them to take away the stone. And then He tells them, He says, you remember, Lazarus, come out. Now I agree with the old preacher who explained this, that the reason He called Lazarus by name is because if Jesus had just said, come out, everyone in that graveyard would have come up. So he called him by name. Because one day he will give a shout and all the dead will rise. We know that to be true. But on this day he calls Lazarus by name. And here's our message. Jesus is calling us out. Lazarus, come out. Jesus is calling us out as well. Do you ever wonder why in this story, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept? You ever wonder why? Why does God in the flesh weep at this time? Was it empathy? Was Jesus so deeply moved to be so close to these good friends of His to see how just heart sick they were, what death causes them? Maybe. Maybe that's it. But I've come to believe there's more. It wasn't just empathy with these people He loved. Because they were sad, and because they were sad, he was sad, even though he knew what he was about to do. See, in my mind, if I knew what I was about to do, I'd be like, hang on, people, watch this. Wouldn't you? But Jesus doesn't do that. In the middle of that setting, that short verse, Jesus wept. I haven't known this all my life, it's just hit me recently. Here's what I think. And maybe you already know this. You've been there for years. I believe at this moment, Jesus was deeply disturbed at what sin had done to the world. This was not what it was intended to be. Jesus was there in creation. He was there with God when everything was made and said it was good. Do you remember? And that God said it was very good. That's the way Jesus intended for it to be. He was part of that creation. It was not a world intended for cemeteries. It was not a world intended for diseases. It was not a world intended for rehab centers or divorce court or abortion clinics. That's not the world that God created. But when sin came, death came. And all that goes with it. That is the world that sin has messed up. That's what I believe is going on here. There's something deeper than just Lazarus is dead and his sisters are sad. Oh, they said, absolutely. We've been there with someone close to us who dies. But Jesus, I believe, is seeing something more. 
understand that to defeat death, Jesus is going to have to destroy sin. This is not just a moment for him to say, watch out people, let me show you that I'm God in the flesh. There was something bigger than that even going on. He knew the greatest test would not be bringing Lazarus back. It would be the day that was coming when he would go to the cross. And it was hitting him. He was aware of it. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now, justification is kind of a Bible term. The New Living Translation says to make us right with God. That's really what it means. To make us right with God. Realize it was sin to introduce death into the world. And we must realize that Jesus sees all of us like He found Lazarus dead. That's who we are. That's how we are. We're dead in our sins. And we're cut off from God because of that. Now the world doesn't see it that way because the world stinks. It's a fourth day world and to them that's normal. They don't even smell it anymore. It's commonplace. Everything stinks to them. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The New Living Translation says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. That four-day world. What can a dead man do to save himself? Absolutely nothing. We know that, don't we? Lazarus did nothing to save himself, to bring him back to life. He didn't make a decision. He heard his name. Lazarus, come out. And the very word, listen to this, the very word that called him gave him the power to respond. Make sure you get that. The very word that called him gave him the power to respond. And I think the same is true for you and me. Is that not what Paul was saying? Look at Ephesians 2, continuing on, verse 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. Even when we were dead in transgressions, He made us alive in Christ. There is no reason. There is no reason to live one more day dead in your sins. He's calling you by name today. That's who He is. That's His, his goal. But the call isn't just to leave the tomb. And that brings us to the next thing He says here. The next command. See, I cannot read this passage without thinking of a lesson one time I heard Jeff Walling, and, and it stuck in my mind. And every time I read John 11, I remember this because he was explaining to think about this. We know this to be true. They want the body. They're not expecting the body to move. So the legs are together. The arms are beside the body. They're, they're, they're all attached. It's wrapped tightly. Now picture this. Lazarus come out. How does that happen? Is it a, is it a shuffle? Is it, is it a hop? I mean, what's going on here? And I'm not trying to make fun of it. Let's think about this. He's wrapped. 
because they're expecting his body just to stay there. They're not, they're not saying, well, you know, let's give him some room in those feet a little. No. There's some, he's, he's gone, wrapped tightly. That's the picture of what's going on here. So Jesus commands, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So what's the message? Jesus is setting us loose. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now I want you to stay with me in the next couple of moments because I want to explain this. Why is this important? Why do we see Christians who say they believe, but their actions reveal something else? Let me tell you about Christopher Miller. In 1999, Christopher Miller was 25 years old. Made a poor choice, bad decision. He was arrested after he forced the employees into the back room of a stride-right shoe store on Hooper Avenue in Toms River, New Jersey. Found guilty, sentenced to 15 years. 2014, that sentence was up. Miller was released from prison. The very next day, Miller, who's now 40 years old, takes a bus, goes to the same shoe store. The employees told police he came in to rob them, demanded the cash, took $389, that's all he could get out of the cash register, and the employee's cell phones, and ran. When they caught him, just a few blocks away, he didn't have the cash or the phones. He'd thrown them away. It wasn't about the money. You know what it was? Here's what the police chief speculated. Christopher has no idea what to do with freedom. He only knows life behind bars, and he wants to stay there. That's a real phenomenon. It happens. That becomes the norm. And that's all they know. And here's the application. Too many believers, even though they've been raised to life, are still wrapped in graves' clothes. Isn't that true? They're still bound and enslaved by habits, the clothing of their old life. See, there's a fashion designer who wants to tell you how to dress. Now, we may think, you know, I am not into that. And you may not be into that, but just hang on because like it or not, fashion comes around. And we see it even repeat cycles. Have you ever done something? I hope this one doesn't come back. But it happens. They say, you know, we're buying one, we're wearing one, whatever it is. Because that's all that's on the rack. And if ours are wore out. There's a man who was watching football all day, so his wife said, look, I'm going to go shopping, but I promise I'm not going to buy anything. She got in, and she had bought something. She bought a new dress. So he said, I thought you said you weren't going to buy anything. She said, well, I didn't intend to, but I tried it on the dressing room, and the devil showed up. He said, my, you look good in that dress. Well, he said, well, you should have told the devil, get behind me, Satan. She said, I did. He said, my, you look good from the back, too. (laughs) How many people are bound for heaven? They've been saved. They've had their sins washed away, but they're living like they're bound. You know what I'm talking about? They're wearing their old clothes still. 
They haven't taken off their grave clothes. And it makes you miserable. It makes you frustrated. It makes you ineffective in the kingdom. And you're not even aware of it because as you look in this fourth day world, everybody's wearing that. Everybody's doing that. Let me ask you a question. Is the death and the resurrection of Jesus powerful enough to save you from your past, but not powerful enough to free you from all your junk? Do you hear what I'm saying? Ephesians 1.7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace. Look at this. That He purchased our freedom with the blood of the Son and forgave our sins. Freedom and forgiveness. You don't get free to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and He sets you free. What does it mean to live in freedom? That's what we're going to be talking about in this study. I want to encourage you to keep coming the next several months. We're going to dig into this. You don't have to live in the bondage of shame. You don't have to remain in the prison of lust. You don't have to be any longer enslaved to greed. What you did or what someone did to you is not who you are in Christ. You don't have to live the rest of your life fearful or to be a people pleaser. You can live free. Christ set me free. You want to know how? You've got to come back. We're going to dig into this. See, some of you are still in a prison that's no longer locked. And you don't even know how to get out. See, the question is not, do I have the power to overcome this? The right question is, did Jesus overcome all bondage and chains when He rose from the dead, and am I in Him? That's the question to ask. Freedom is the capacity to be who you are recreated to be in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus got up from that grave, you're no longer held down. You have been set free. You don't belong in the grave. Don't put a comma where God has put a period. And God said prison life is over. Bondage to sin is over. But you have to trust a person and not just say you believe a doctrine. Trust. And who are you listening to? I, I read a story, a touching story from World War II. On January 28, 1945, 121 elite army rangers liberated 500 POWs, mostly Americans, from a Japanese prison camp in the Philippines. Many of these had survived the infamous Bataan Death March. Awful conditions. Starving to death. Mentally, physically just a shell of a human was left of them. And here's the strange thing about that story. Before the Rangers arrived, Japan's forces were already retreating, including the guards around the camp. And so the prisoners had been incarcerated for so long, their minds are not thinking clearly. They don't see the guards, but they know there's, there's Japanese forces just, just beyond were they free? Is this true? Was it a trap? 
They weren't sure. They needed to know. They were slow to believe. There was one prisoner, Captain Burt Bank, from Alabama. He was there, and he suffered like all of them. But for him, blindness. Because of such bad nutrition, couldn't see. So it wasn't like he could recognize a face even. And to know, these are Americans. He didn't know. In fact, he refused to budge. But finally, a soldier from the South with a familiar Southern accent came up to Captain Burtbank and said, what's wrong with you? Don't you want to be free? And when that young man from Alabama heard that Southern dialect, he thought, there is a voice I can trust. And he got up and he started the journey home. Because he decided to listen to that voice. There's all kind of voices out there. And Satan is so good at deceiving us. But the voice of Jesus is calling us because we are not intended to live in graves clothes. Let me close with this. Freedom is a promise to wear. What do you think about that? Freedom is a promise to wear. What we're going to do in this study is, is discuss and learn and see what Scripture reveals about how to dress in what we profess. Who Scripture says we are. How do you step in this kind of life so that God, that God wants for you? Look what Paul said about choosing what you wear. Romans 13, 14, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So I didn't make up this clothing talk. It's in Scripture. We just need to make sure that we're applying it here. 1 Timothy 2, 6, 2 verse 6 says, He gave His life to purchase freedom for everyone. See, freedom is for all, but you cannot break free on somebody else's relationship with Jesus. You've got to listen. You've got to respond. You've got to obey. You've got to start listening to His voice. And you've got to stop listening to the voice of bondage. You've got to stop listening to the noise of our fourth day world. And only you can do that. One of my favorite stories of Booker T. Washington. He wrote about growing up on a slave plantation. One of the most hated noises for him was a rooster that would wake them up even before the sun came up. Because as a slave, it reminded him that rest was over. He's still a slave and he had a day long of backbreaking work in the cotton field. So they grew to hate the sound of that rooster. But then came the Emancipation Proclamation. Abraham Lincoln said that all men were free. The next morning, young Booker was awakened by that rooster, but not because he was crowing, but because his mother was out there chasing that rooster with an axe. The family had fried alarm clock for lunch. Their first act of freedom was to silence the reminder of their slavery. You were not meant to struggle through life. Jesus came to set us free. And so if you're struggling, folks, you're missing something. 
Because that is not the life Jesus calls us to. Christ set me free. Do you believe this? Do you believe He's the resurrection? One more verse. You can be free in Jesus. You can hear His voice right now. Again, here's more of that clothing talk. Galatians 3.27 For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Jesus is calling you out. You are a slave. You are dead in your sins. And you can stay there. It's your choice. But He offers salvation. He offers life. It's because what Jesus did on the cross. So we're going to sing a song to encourage you to accept that freedom. Let Him make you that new creature. Be baptized into Christ. And you put Him on. And you get out of jail. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?